Uh, our lead pastor, Derek Fry, he's actually preaching at a different church in Tampa, Florida. He's suffering for Jesus with good weather, like he, always, how, like, like he likes to say. But anyways, um, I just want to say welcome. So glad you're here with us today. We're actually going to continue with a series called Really Rich. Come on, say Really Rich. Yeah, we've had an amazing worship experience. Let, let's, let's give it up for the worship team. It is so good. And... I'm usually the guy behind the, the piano, and for me to actually be able to just be sitting in and, and just taking it in, it's awesome. You guys have no idea how awesome that is. But anyways, um, we're going to continue with our series, Really Rich, uh, and yes, we're talking about what? Money, 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 money. So it, just before you dismiss me, okay, before you kind of shut me out or tune me out, I just want to tell you that the way we talk about money is a little bit different than maybe what you used to. You know, we, I just want to make sure that you know that we want something for you. We don't want anything from you. But just hear this, this message out. I think it's going to challenge you maybe to grow in, the, in, in different ways that maybe you haven't even thought about it before. But um, before I actually get into it, um, you can get your worship guides out and, and open up your phone on, on version and follow along there too. But before I, I go there, before I start the message, actually, I just want to do a little recap of last week. Last week, we learned a few things with PD. It was awesome. Who was here last week? All right, so let's see if we can do better than the first service. Um, we learned, we had two news. We had good news and we had bad news. So the good news is that what? We are? All right, that's, wow. All right, let's do it again. Uh, the good news is that we are? We are rich. All right, and, the, and, and, and with being rich, we have, you know, uh, just the knowledge that we make more money than a lot of people, a lot of people. You know, according to, to globalreach.org, which is an organization that surveys, uh, you know, income and, and, and a boatload of other stuff around the world, they came to the, to the realization that if you make $32,500 or more on an annual basis, okay, and that's total household income. So if you're married, that would be a husband and wife. Um, if you make $32,500 or more, you're on the top 1% of wage earners in the world. In the world now, if you're really, really blessed and you make more than eighty thousand, okay, eighty thousand, uh, you're actually on the top one tenth of one percent of the wealthiest people in the planet. Isn't that amazing? Like that means that you make more than ninety nine point nine percent of the people alive in the world today. So the truth is, we are rich. Say we're rich. Now the bad news was what? The bad news is that we are, we are rich. That's the bad news. Uh, and, and with being rich, we, we have the, 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 the rich people problems, you know. And, and it's like, you know, I, I, I can't get my hair appointment on Saturday at the right time. It's going to mess up my plans for the weekend. And that is a big problem. Or uh, they put pickles on my sandwich or, or mayonnaise for John Dudley. Uh, and then, and, because I know he doesn't like it, or Chris Belly. But anyways, they, they put that on my sand, sandwich and I specifically told them not to. That's a problem. You know, the richer we are, the more money we make, the harder it is for us to be what? To be content. It's very hard. You know, I heard a story of a, of a Yugo driver. I don't know if you know what a Yugo is, uh, but this is like a little car that was around back in, you know, early 80s. I think, yeah, we have that on the screen right here. And this guy, I mean, if you ever owned one, by the way, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry you had to own one. Um, to my knowledge, I was reading a little bit about it. It's one of the worst cars ever to make into production. That's what I read. Um, anyways, 
This guy was just driving around town, right? So just driving around town, enjoying his day. And then on the other side of the town, there was another guy driving another car, a Rolls Royce. Everybody knows what a Rolls Royce is. So back then, that's how it looked like. And he's just driving around town. And eventually, they find themselves uh, at a different intersection. And they start to talk to each other. And, and the Yugo driver engages in a conversation. And he says uh, to the Rolls driver, he says, hey, that's a very cool car you have there. Do you have a phone in your car? Because you know... I have a phone in my Yugo. And then the Rolls driver says, like, of course I have a phone. Like, all right, now listen. This is a Brazilian guy talking in English, trying to do a British accent, okay? So give me some credit. So, which I know is probably the worst accent ever. But anyways, um, so he says, of course I have a phone in my car. And then the Yugo driver says, okay, that's, that's good. That's good. That's cool. Now, let me ask you this. Do you have a fridge in your car? Because you know... I have a fridge in the back seat of my Yugo. And then the Rolls driver looks and says, of course I have a refrigerator in my, in my car. And then the Yugo driver says, yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad you have that too. But let me ask you this. Do you have a TV in your car? Because you know I have a TV in the back seat of my Yugo. And then, and then the Rolls driver, uh, like already upset and you know, trying to get, starting to get annoyed, he says, of course I have a, a television set in my car. Rolls Royces are the most luxurious cars in the world. And then the Yugo driver said, okay, I'm, I, that's cool that you have that, but let me ask you this. Do you have a bed in your car? Because you know <laughs> I have a bed in the back of my Yugo. And then the Rolls, the Rolls Royce driver, he gets upset, and he just drives off and goes straight to the dealer. Then he gets there, and he demands that they put in a bed because he didn't have a bed in his car. So next day, next morning, he actually gets there. He finds the car. Uh, and, of course, there's a bed, you know, with all the fine materials. I mean, worthy of a, of a Rolls Royce. And then he drives around town looking for the Yugo driver. And drives and drives and drives until he actually finally finds the Yugo driver. And so he gets there. And uh, he gets out of the car. Of the car and the, the Yugo driver uh, was in the car. But, like, the, the windows were all foggy from the inside. So he knocks. No answer. He knocks. No answer. He knocks a third time. And then the Yugo driver opens up the window and puts his head out, like, soaking wet. And then he says, like, what? And then the, the Rolls Royce builds up, like, very arrogantly. And he says, I have a bed in my car. And then the Yugo driver said, you got me out of the shower for that? <laughs> you know, it's, for rich people, it's very hard for us to be content. Isn't that right? Now, the problem is that we know that we are rich. Statistically speaking, we're rich, but the problem is that very often we don't feel rich. Isn't that right? We don't feel rich. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what you have. We don't feel rich. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking more about on the hard side of the equation. Like, why don't we feel rich even though we are? We are so blessed to be in this country. We're so blessed to have the freedom that we have, freedom to make money, freedom to, you know, start a business and grow, freedom to worship. There's so many freedom things, and, and we're so rich to be in this country, but yet, very often, we don't, we don't feel rich. So I'm going to be titling this message, Money Trap. Say, Money Trap. The serious big idea is actually, we are really rich to what? To be really generous. But it's actually very hard for us to be generous if we don't feel rich, even though we are rich, but we don't feel rich. And if I don't feel rich, I actually feel that I can't afford to be generous. Everything that comes in, I have to actually hold on to it because it's all about who? It's all about me. 
All right? So the love of money is very deceitful. That's the, that's the, 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 the today's big idea is the love of money. And we're going to get into it very shortly. Today's key text is found in Matthew 13. When just uh, as, a, as a little background, Jesus is actually sitting on a boat and just teaching a boatload of people. And um, no pun intended. Uh, so he's just teaching a lot of people. And, and his disciples were there too. And he's just, you know, telling people parables like he used to do. So he's talking about the parable of the sower. Uh, and, and, and the sower is actually just, you know, throwing some seeds and some fell along, along the path and uh, the, the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on, on rocky soil, very shallow soil, and it grew up, but then it, it died very quickly and some fell among the thorns. And that's actually, that's verse 7 uh, out of chapter 13. And that's exactly where uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about today is the seeds that fell among the thorns. And that is actually, the seed is actually the word of God. Okay, as an interpretation, is, is, the, is the word of God. And the way that this verse reads is, is this. Um, the, the seed fell, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Notice that it wasn't the plants that grew up and got choked by the thorns. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up. The thorns grew up and choked the plants. It was not necessarily the plants. But it, it, it means the seed is the word of God. It means it falls on people's ears and they receive it and they actually accept it and they start growing and they start going in the right direction. But then all of a sudden they get overcome and they get suffocated with the worries of today's world, with the worries and preoccupations of actually achieving wealth. And you can see that in the same chapter, just a little bit ahead, just a little bit ahead. Now, just recently... Uh, I, I've been to one of those places. I don't know if you know those places that, you know, they have those um, uh, games and they have pizza. Uh, and then the more games you play, the more tickets you get, you get. And then you get to the end of it all. And, uh, and then you go to the front desk and you submit the tickets you have and you get a big prize. Like something like this, right? Okay. Did I look like a magician right now? That was kind of weird. Uh, anyways, so it looks something like this. So I was there with my son, Lucas. I have a five-year-old. And we were at a birthday party the other day. And I see uh, him playing, and he's not doing so good in a little game of, uh, you know, playing uh, shooting. So he needs to aim at a couple of red dots that appear every now and then, and he needs to shoot the red, red dots. And the more he gets right, he gets these tickets. So I see him, and he's struggling a little bit, and, and then, of course, Daddy wants to help out. And so I come in and say, okay, okay step aside, Lucas. Let, let Daddy show you how it's done. <laughs> let me show you how it's done. So it was like right in the middle of a game, and there are several guns to choose from, but he had chosen a pistol, uh, and he was just shooting. So I got the other gun, even though only one worked, but I was in the moment, so go with me on this. So I was in the moment, I got the gun, and then I go like across my arm, I go like, say hello to my little friend, and, and, I, and I start shooting. And I did a whole lot better than Lucas. Uh, not really. Um, I did slightly better. Not really. Actually, that I did a lot worse because you can't aim right from here. Like, this is a movie thing, by the way. But anyways, uh, we had a lot of fun, and, and we went over different games. And, and at the end of the day, we, got, we hit some jackpots, and we had a lot of these, a lot of these. And by the time it was time to go home, I was thinking, we're going to get a lot of, of prizes because this is a lot of tickets. So I get there, with, and Lucas is carrying some tickets. I'm carrying some tickets. And then I'm thinking... We're going to get a lot for this. So we have a whopping like 430-something tickets. And then all I got for all of those tickets was something like this. <laughs> so I got something like this. 
Now that's the deception of the tickets, right? And then if I go back like two or three weeks later, I would repeat the same thing. I want to get more tickets so I can get a bigger prize. But at the end of it all, I end up with something like this. But what's interesting is that whenever we uh, actually move more into adulthood, okay, and we start working and all of that, the tickets, they, they no longer look like this. They actually start to look a little bit more like this. You guys recognize this? It starts to look a little bit more like this. And then we start to think that uh, the more of these tickets I have, like once I have enough of these tickets, then I'm going to feel secure. Once I have enough of these tickets, then I'm going to feel like I matter. Once I have enough of these tickets, then I'm going to feel unafraid, and I'm going to feel bold, and I feel significant. But the truth is, what we need to understand is that these tickets, just like these, they can be very deceitful, depending on the way that you look at it. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is one of the key thoughts of today's message. Culture today conditions you to serve money. Culture today conditions you to serve money. Conditions us, it actually kind of drives us to serve and to worship money. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We learned last week that God's greatest, like for most of us, God's greatest competitor for our heart is what? Is money. Is money. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's not uh, pleasure. It's, no, it's money. Now, why? Why is money really the biggest competitor for our hearts? There is a reason, reason. And the reason is, is because money um, promises what only God can deliver. Money promises what only God can provide. And that's why it makes it so attractive, uh, like a, a false God uh, in our lives, because it promises what only God can provide. And I have here just a few things that money promises, two things that money promises, but only God can provide. Uh, one is money promise, promises happiness. Come on, say happiness. happiness. You know, think about this. If you have enough of these tickets, then you can buy that thing. And then once you buy that thing, it's going to make you what? Happy. 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 Now, if you have enough of these tickets, then you can buy the house that is, is, is a little bit bigger and you have the bigger kitchen with the beautiful countertops and you have an island in it. And, and I've always dreamed of owning an island and that's probably the only way how. Uh, and, but anyways, I, I know that if I get enough of these tickets, I'm going to be able to buy that house. And once I do, it's going to make me happy. happy. You know, if I have enough of these tickets, now I can afford that car that has a sunroof thing that I will likely open like once, once or twice every three years. But still, I want that because that's going to make me happy. happy, happy. Like once I have enough of these tickets, I can get my hair done more often. You know, ladies in the house, you guys can get your nails done more often. And, and ladies, we know that you guys do this for each other. We know that you, you do your nails for each other. Like I've never once heard a guy say, hey, did you see the set of nails in that girl? <laughs> No, no, we know, we know you do that for each other. You know, they, they never say like, I wonder if they're if they're real or fake. No, they never say that. They never say that. We know you do that for each other. But anyways, the more of these we have, the more of all of that we can do, and then we're gonna be what? Happy. So money promises happiness, but only God God can provide. But the real the real deal is this. Look. We, we are looking for happiness, and money actually does bring those things, and we can, we can do more things if we have more money. But the truth is our heart is not longing for happiness. Our heart is longing for joy, and joy can only be found in God. 
Happiness comes from the word happening. It's whatever is happening. It's circumstantial. It's not constant. It's not sustainable. Now, joy is sustainable. Joy is constant. And true joy can only be found in God. But money distorts that idea in our minds. And it promises happiness. But only God can provide true joy. Amen? Amen. All right. So the next thing. So money promises happiness. And the next thing is money promises security. Say security. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 11, it says, The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. We often think that if we have enough of these tickets, if we have enough of these tickets, you know, we, we are secure. We're secure. I mean, I can have a pile of these like that and like that and like that. And the more I have, I feel that I can keep the bad things away because I have some power right here. And we have a tendency of thinking like that. But the truth is, whenever something big happens, whenever uh, a, a loved one gets sick, whenever our business or the stock market or the real estate market crashes, all of a sudden this disappears, then all of a sudden we're left with nothing. We will end up blame, blaming God. We become heartbroken. And we blame God for it. You know why? Because we're trusting the stack, and we're not trusting God because we're trusting the stack. Our security is based on how much of these tickets we have, not necessarily on, on what God has for us. Now, it says here, Proverbs 18, 11, it says, The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. In my house, we, we play a lot. I have two kids, uh, so we play a lot. In my living room, we are constantly fighting crime. Uh, you know, like sometimes I'm Superman, sometimes I'm Spider-Man, uh, or whatever other superhero there is. And, and every now and then we have to, you know, call from outer space, you know, the rescue bots to try to help us. And, um, you know, I play a lot with my kids and I have a lot of fun. But the truth is this is all what? Pretend, right? So we're imagining these things. And this is what the Bible says. It's so interesting. The word chosen here, the rich think of their wealth as strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. It's not real. It's really not real. It's just they are deceived at the end. We often think that if we have enough of these tickets, we're secure. The truth is we're not. And in that way, whenever we think like that about money, in that way, we're actually serving money. We're worshiping money. Now, you may, you, some of you may think that worship is what we do here on Sunday morning. You know, like we, we come in, we worship, and then there is a message. You know, some guy will come up and, and, and give you a message. No, worship is not only that. You know, how can you worship money? It, it, do I have to sing a song to it? No, that would be weird. Uh, and if you do, please don't do it to a $1 bill. I mean, get a bigger one. But anyways, uh, you know, do I bow down to it? No. No, that's not how we do it. But it is in other actions that we take that actually shows that we can be serving money. Like if you ever bought something you don't need with money you don't have to impress people that you don't really like. You know what I'm saying? That's an indication that we may be serving money. We have that pressure of having more, having more and more and more. You know, if, 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 we, if we, this is going to, st may sting a little bit, but if we, if we cheat on our taxes, if we just tell the IRS that we made a little bit less money so that way I, I can pay a little bit less taxes and... Then I can have a little bit more of these left in my pocket. You know, we're, we may be under the influence of money. If we, if we are so glad 
that, you know, we were at the supermarket and, and the people didn't see that we had, you know, a very expensive seedless organic watermelon uh, in the cart and, and we just, you know, didn't pay for it. You know, and if we are glad, that means that we are under the influence of money. Or if we are at the theme park and then our kid who is 14 years old, you know, passes as a 12-year-old, so we get the kid disco, come on. Um, if that happens and we're glad, we are under the influence of money. Are you guys with me? What we're doing is we're actually compromising our integrity to get more of these tickets. The, the less of these tickets I spend, the more they stay in my pocket. The more they stay in my pocket, the more secure I can feel if I have my trust in these things, in, in, in the pile. Now, it's easier for whenever you have less of this, it's easier for us to actually trust God. Because we know that if I have just a little pile like this, I know that if something happens, this is not going to get me very far. But the bigger the stack is, the more tempted we are to actually transfer our trust to the stack of money and not necessarily to trust God. So I want to show you a couple of three, uh, three problems that we have or, or symptoms, let's say. And this is something that I encourage you to just, you know, listen in and, and self-analyze, okay? Just examine yourself as I'm talking about this. But the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is neutral, right? Money is neutral. It's not, it's not good. It's not bad. Just Money is just a tool. Uh, but it's also a magnifier, okay? Magnifier makes things bigger as, as you look through it. It's a magnifier. It makes you more of what you already are. Basically, that's what money is. Now, the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, the first problem is this. If, if you have this symptom, if you, if you can look in, inside and you see some of these things, that, it shows that you might be you know, struggling a little bit with the love of money. The love of money. The first one is this. If you love money, you never have enough. Come on, say you never have enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You know, we heard last week Pete talking about a survey that was done, that was done, and across the board, you know, the, 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 the average was, uh, um, the question was, how much money would you have to make to be happy? How much money would you have to make to feel rich, you know, to feel satisfied? And the answer across the board uh, on average was double of what I make. Exactly, you got that right. So it was double of what I make. So uh, if it's 25,000, it's 50,000, if it's 50,000, 100,000, or 200,000, it's 400, and so forth. Now, maybe based on what I'm actually teaching you guys, talking to you guys about today, and, and what we heard PD talk last week, if I were to ask you the same question now, likely your answer wouldn't be double because you don't want to sound greedy. But the truth is, for most of us in this room, the answer would be the same. And the answer would be what? More than I make now. More than, more than I make now. So I heard a story about a doctor that um, uh, just had a little bit of a plumbing issue. And so he calls a plumber. The plumber comes up quickly and he sees the problem, assesses the situation, goes downstairs, goes to the truck, gets his tools, go upstairs and wrap this thing around and tighten this, tighten that. Boom, problem solved. And then he gives a, a bill to the doctor. And the doctor looks at the bill and he's shocked. He's shocked with the bill. And now he's not shocked because he can't afford it, because he can, uh, but he's just shocked on the amount. And then he talks to the plumber. He says, man, I mean, you were here for like 15 minutes, and you're charging me $600. That's, that's absurd. That's a lot of money. That's more money than I make as a doctor. And then the plumber said, yeah, I mean, why do you think I'm no longer a doctor? 
You know, sometimes we're, we're willing to change careers or choose a career path simply because at the end we might have a couple more of these tickets. And if we do these things, we're under the influence of money. And I'm going to go even further or, or deeper to say how many of us parents... How many of us parents are actually conditioning our kids or trying to guide our kids to make decisions, to actually choose a career path that they maybe are not skilled at, that they maybe, maybe they're not called to do, but simply because it promises, that path promises more of these at the end. And we're, we're possibly putting our kids in a place where they're going to be living an unfulfilled, miserable life sometimes just because of the promises to get more of these tickets. Isn't that right? Now, the more money that we make, the more money we need to make. We never have enough. Now, the second problem is this. If you love money, the more money you have, the more difficult it is to give big. Now, research shows all around uh, that when people make more money, the more money people make, the smaller the percentage they give. Not, not the less they give, because sometimes the percentage uh, will outweigh how much you're giving. But the smaller the percentage is, the more tight with our money we become, the more money we make. That is, is, is true research. Now, yes, there are exceptions to the rule. Yes, I know several of them, but the vast majority of people, that's how they do. Now, the more money we have, the more difficult it is for us to give big. Now, the smaller the stack, the easier it is for us to trust God, the bigger the more tempted we are to trust money. I remember a series of experiences that I've had. Um, I don't have time to share my entire testimony with you guys, but I remember uh, my wife and I, she's right here on the front seat. We've been married for about 11 and a half years. And in the beginning of our marriage, um, we were making a lot of money. I was making a lot of money. I had a lot of money. Some of you guys here um, know me from back then. Um, I had a big house, it was right on the lake, and uh, six levels, and every window you would look out, and you would see the lake, and on the lake there was a dock, on the dock there was a boat that was ours. Uh, in the garage we had a couple BMWs and a couple different trucks, and life was good. We were having a ball, having a lot of money, but the truth is we were very self-centered. We didn't think of anyone else. We, we, everything that we were making, we were using for ourselves and just planning for ourselves, and every now and then, just to make us feel a little bit better, uh, I guess we would have conversations like, you know, when, once we buy this house or once we do this, then we're going to do that for that person, you know? Like we had dreams of blessing some people, but before those dreams could come true, we would have to get this, 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 and that, and then fill in the blank with even more. Uh, but the truth is, those things never came to realization because it got to a certain point, got to a certain point that... I actually was in business back then, and I trusted somebody that I shouldn't have. Uh, it was actually my best friend at the time. Um, and coupled with the real estate crash also happening at the same time, we lost everything. Like, when I mean everything, I mean everything. It got to a certain point that, got to a certain point that uh, we had to choose what to pay in order to keep the services on. Whether it was a cell phone, whether it was electricity, it got to that point. But, you know, I'm a pastor's son, and I've, I, I, I've, I grew up in the church, and I knew a lot of the Christian values, and uh, tithing is one of them. You know, I always tithe. So if, every now and then I would control the tithe, you know, like I can't give this month, but I'm going to give next month. I'm actually going to just double up next month. Everything will be fine. And there's a strong message here. I just don't have the time to get into it. 
because uh, that's not the right way of doing it. But still, uh, it got to a certain point that I even, even the tithe I felt I couldn't do. I just couldn't do because I knew that if I gave the tithe, I wouldn't be able to afford other stuff. I wouldn't be able to, you know, put food on the table. So it, that happened right around uh, when PD was actually in a financial series. And that challenged me. That, that There was one specific Sunday that message challenged me. Challenged me. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicted me so hard on actually trusting him, on, on actually switching my trust from this to him. And I did it. And I did it. I actually had money in my pocket. I actually put that uh, in the offering box. And, and that was terrifying. There was a war inside of me. Like, you can't do that because you're not going to be able to afford this, this, and that. But the Holy Spirit was actually just challenged me very hard. And I did it. It, it felt crazy at the time, but it felt right. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but yes, it felt right. Forward, uh, fast forward a little bit. Next, same day, actually, we went to um, somebody's house for lunch. And somebody, that somebody gave my wife a thank you card for a couple of things that she had helped her do. Uh, and in, in that thank you card, there was some money. Guess what? The money was exactly to the penny, the money I tied in the morning. And God spoke to me very strongly saying, I'm your provider. You know, like, I don't know if you're like me, but I want to know where money's coming from and, and, and how it's going to work because, you know, we have control issues. Like, we, we want to know. We want to keep our feet on the ground. But God was just telling me, like, I know your needs more than you do, and I'm your provider. But that's not even the, the, the greatest message in this whole thing. The whole thing is that what really messed me up is that the people that blessed us, they were not much better off financially than we were. That messed me up. That messed me up real big. Which brings me to a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. It says this, uh, In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up. This is actually Paul talking to the church in Corinth, telling them about some Christian friends in, uh, in the church of Macedonia. So he says, In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for a testify that they gave as much as they were able to and even beyond their ability entirely on their own that messed me up somebody that was not much better off than me was just being generous and when I was in a position that I could be so generous I wasn't that changed the way I look at things amen now uh, if so if you love money we never have enough we find it increasingly difficult to give big. And the last one is this. The more, money, the, the more we love money, the more money we have, the less peace we have. The more money we have, the less peace we have. There's a scripture in, in Proverbs, Proverbs 15, 16. It says this. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Again, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. And this is something that's kind of hard. It's one of those verses that we wish it kind of wasn't there because, you know, I like a lot. You know, better, better is not little. Better is, is a lot. But it says here, better is little with the fear of the Lord than a lot with trouble. You know, there's this guy that handles uh, money for other people. Like, he's a financial advisor. And he only has just a few clients. Okay? A few very, very big clients. They're billionaires. And his job is actually to ensure that their wealth is distributed in a way and invested in a way that it will provide everything they need, but then also it will bless generations to come. Now, uh, like a billion dollars is a lot of money. I know that 
you guys know your numbers. So yes, uh, you know, a thousand, you add three zeros, you get a million. And then another three zeros, you get a billion and a trillion, a quadrillion. Good. You know your numbers. But I venture to say that a lot of us in this room, we don't necessarily fully know the acquisition power of a billion dollars. A billion dollars is a lot of money. So this guy was actually asked in an interview, he was asked, if you could have that amount of money, would you? Would you like to have that kind of money? And the answer was, without any hesitation, he says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he goes on to say, you have no idea what kind of headaches, what kind of deceit in the family, what kind of fight, lies, the turmoil it is to be able to keep that kind of responsibility, to be able to manage and have that kind of money. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, all right, so let me have that problem. Uh, I think I can figure this out. You know, I, I think that this guy is not, is not a Christian. I don't know. Or we can say, you know what, just start me off with a couple million dollars, and I think I can do a little bit better. But if we're thinking like that, it might be just an indication that we're under the influence of money. Under the influence of money. Now, let me, let me, let me be a little more direct with you. And, this, and I hope this doesn't offend you. But I'm doing this. I'm saying this because I love and I care for you. Many of you here today make more money than your parents ever did. Many of you here today make more money than you ever thought possible. Maybe you're so uh, uh, successful in your career, so successful in your business that you're making more money than you never even imagined that you would make. But still, you're financially strapped. You still, you feel like you're always like this. You, you, you can't breathe. Because the more you get, the more you have to make in order to maintain what you got. The, what you need to understand is that there are people around you that make maybe a third of what you make. And they don't have nearly the financial pressure that you have. They're not nearly financially strapped like you are. And the reason is because they actually learn how to live, how to live beneath their means. The reason is, is that you, when you receive everything that you receive, every blessing that you have, every paycheck or every whatever, anything and everything that comes your way, you see it as yours and you consume it all. And then you have the problem because uh, you're, you're in, in, in stress, in financial stress. And then you think that the more money uh, uh, you make, you just need more money. So if I can make a little bit more money, I can probably turn this thing around. But then when you make more money, you end up consuming it all. And then that just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And culture today actually conditions us to think that way. That all we need is what? Is more money. Is more money. If I have more money, I can solve this issue. If I have more money, I can, I can pay this off and, and, and get this off of my back. But let me tell you something. What we need today, what you need is more of Jesus in your life. It's more of Jesus. It's not more money. It's more of Jesus. Because Jesus can provide what money is promising but can't. Jesus can provide. Now, you may push back and say, well, Jesus can't pay my bills. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to write the check, but he can open up your eyes to see where money is going. He can open up your eyes to, to, to help you manage your money. Then all of a sudden, when he does that, you realize that, yes, you're rich. You realize that, yes, I can live beneath my means. Then you realize that, yes, I can actually help somebody. And when you help somebody, you're going to be able to feel, to, to feel something inside that maybe you never did. 
a sense of satisfaction and you're going to understand that you're living not only to make a living, that you're working not only to make a living, but you're living to make a difference. Amen. Let's stand on our feet. Notice that the Bible verse says, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. The thorns grew up, and the thorns represent riches. It represents wealth. It represents everything that very often we're after, and that suffocates us. I believe that God wants to set you free today of that. The very thing that you're holding on to so dearly is the very thing that it may be choking you, may be suffocating you today. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just let's give a little bit of privacy to the people next to you. If you see yourself in any of these points that I said right now, if you, if you identify with it, okay, any of these things that I said, if, you, if, if you're looking for happiness in money, if you're looking for security in money, if you always think that what you have is not enough, if you have a hard time to be able to give and bless someone, I'm not even talking about the church, but just to be able to give, and bless someone and think of someone else other than yourself. Or maybe you have money and you just don't have the peace. Either one of these, if you fit, if you see, if you self-examine yourself right now and you see that you fit in any one of these criteria, again, every head bowed, every eye closed, just boldly raise your hand. I see hands all over the place. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, you can lower your hand now. I believe that God wants to set you free. Now I have another question. Let me, and let me preface by saying this. Yes, we're talking about generosity. Yes, we're talking about doing something other than yourself, for, other, for someone else other than yourself. But in order for us to be free in this, we actually have to have a relationship with God. And it doesn't matter what we do or how much we do of anything. It doesn't, it doesn't establish, it doesn't secure a relationship with God. The only way that we can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. That he's the way, the truth, and the life that no one can go to the Father if not through him. Now, if you're here today and maybe you never invited God into your life, maybe you're running things on your own. If you do good decisions, things go well. If you mess up, things go bad. And I'm not saying it's entirely different when you become a Christian. But when you become a Christian, you start to see things that you didn't see before. The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How does it do that? You know, you're never going to open up your bank account or your credit card statement and see a little charge there saying, you know, $1,000 and, and then it's devil incorporated. You're never going to see that. Never going to see that. But once you accept Christ as your Savior... He will start to open up your eyes to see the things where, the, where, where things are leaking, where things are, 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 are just vanishing from your finances. And then all of, the, all of the pressure all of a sudden starts to disappear because you start to see differently. If that's you today, if you, if you haven't invited God uh, and Jesus into your heart and you want to do that today, you want to secure a relationship with God, it's only through Jesus. And if that's you today, again, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you today, boldly just raise your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand in the back. Thank you. You in the back as well. 
Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. If you're online, you can do the same thing right now. You can just raise your hand as a sign of surrendering. Now, the entire church, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I am tired of trying to make it on my own. God, I invite you into my heart. And I, I ask you to take the lead on everything that I do. I accept your sacrifice on the cross as payment for all my sin. It's the only way that I can be in relationship with you. So I invite you into my heart. Dwell in my heart. And I will serve you from this day forward. Now, believing in this, in this uh, just saying this prayer doesn't save you, but believing in it will. So I pray that God will actually seal this prayer in heaven right now. And from now on, God is going to start to show you things. He's going to start to open up your eyes. While I'm just closing prayer. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for everyone that is here today. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word, for explaining so much. It gives us, it's so rich, Lord. It's so rich and it explains so much. And it guides us through life, God. Lord, I pray that you help people to see things that they need to see, Lord. I pray that you help people to be able to simply let go of the thorns of life, Lord. To be able to let go of the desire to pursue wealth, Lord. And that, that, that they may transfer, Lord, their security. They may trans, transfer their trust to you because you're the only one that can provide everything, Lord. You're the only one that can provide everything, for our enjoyment. In Jesus' name, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's give God a big hand.